0: So this morning, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 24, only because I want to kind of just put things in perspective for us, because we are constantly uh, surrounded by a lot of different things, especially the things going on in the world that we live in today, you know? So we see things going on in the world. We wonder what to do with those things. There's so many uh, prophecy teachers that are having a field day and enjoying themselves right now. It's kind of like, you know... um, you know, and, and, and to some, and to good reason, if you remember the things I shared with you last week, there's good reason why we should be looking and excited about the coming of the Lord. In fact, that's kind of like all we talk about nowadays within leadership, you know, with the world being where it is and ministry being the way it is. We just say come Lord Jesus because we want to see him show up at any moment. Amen. That's what we're longing for and looking forward to. And we're supposed to live that way as a Christian church, according to everything that we see that Jesus told us about and all of the apostles. Um, And so, yes, but there's also a balance um, because there's a purpose for why the church is here. And we don't want to miss that. And we want to make sure that we're used to the fullest extent until it's time for us to go. Right. And so what I want to do is just kind of put some things in perspective this morning. We're going to dive into Matthew 24. I ended up spending the whole service first service in this, even though I didn't, it wasn't my plan. Um, but we're going to dive in and we're going to start in verse 36 of Matthew 24. We'll make our way down to verse 44 today. And so let's read it. And let me know when you're there, say amen. amen. Sounds like most of you. Here a few pages rattling. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. But my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. You do not expect. So, Father, we do thank you this morning for your word, Lord God, for allowing us to gather this morning, for giving us strength in our bodies, uh, giving us air in our lungs, Lord God, for speaking to us by your spirit, Lord. We yield to you now. We desire to hear what you would have to say, Lord God, that you, through your word, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit would speak to your believers, your body, Lord God, in such a way that it would that just kind of further direct us and and uh, give us understanding of the times we live in. And even more importantly, of how we should live in those times, Lord God, as we wait for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray and say together, amen, amen. amen. All right. so we dive in let's work through it um passage of scripture that you've probably all heard before have all heard it read and taught maybe you've all read it or spent some time in it and maybe a few of you haven't um and so we'll go through it verse by verse and then next week prayerfully we'll be back um in the book of proverbs but with everything that's going on everybody's excited you know they look at the world and they're looking at um uh, what's happening within the news, which is dangerous within itself because the majority of the news that you're watching um, is news that's controlled and planned for you. Oh man, will <laughs> make it easy, yeah. Yeah, if you're watching CNN or Fox or NBC, ABC, MSNBC, uh, any other thing ending with C except for uh, except for maybe CBN, which is which Christian on, you're getting you're getting kind of planned out stuff that, because um, all of those are owned by a group of elites within the world who control what goes out through it. And so, um, and that's why it's all very similar, and you walk away from it, not really s- settle on what's going on a lot of times, you know. But there's a lot of good Christian news out there that you could watch that gives a different perspective in a, in a lot of ways. Um Um, And then there's some other groups out there that are independent, like The Healed and uh, Epic News and whatnot as well. Um, And one of the best sources of information is actually being connected with missionary organizations that have people on the ground that's doing ministry who are reporting back as to what's going on. You find more out just looking at that a lot of times than a lot of these other things. But with all of that being said, and everybody wonders, is this the hour? Is this is this is, uh, everything that we read about in Ezekiel 38. And uh, i may maybe touch on that as I go through this. Let me just dive into the word and that'll help us out. So verse 36, notice it says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Let's pause there for a moment. Well, and even he says, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And I, I want to pause there for a moment because it's, it's so wonderful and refreshing to be able to hear the Lord say that to us because we, we know this, but we forget this. That nobody knows the day or the hour. Well, what day and what hour? Well, as we go through this, it'll be very clear the day and the hour that he's talking about because there's a day for the church, and there's a day for the world. And he's speaking of the day for the church, and I'll explain as I go through. Nobody knows this day. There's an allusion in here also, as I've told you in the, taught you in the past, to the Jewish wedding feast tradition that they knew and understood. But there's a time coming in which the bridegroom is uh, given authorization, authority by his father to go and to pick up his bride and bring her to the father's house for the wedding. We all know that, I don't wanna spend time there. But what Jesus is saying to us is that no one actually knows. And so it's amazing that with all of the news and even all of the prophecy talk, which is good as this is a balanced teaching because last week I told you while it's important for us to be excited about prophecy. Remember, the Bible says, do not, uh, uh, do not despise prophecies. Thank you but test all things, right? So it's good for us to be excited about prophecy because it's given to us. Man, a large portion of the Bible is prophecy. Jesus wants us to understand the times we live in. In fact, this chapter is all based contextually upon them asking Jesus some questions about comments he made about the destruction of the temple and his coming. And they said, Lord, what are the signs of your coming? And he sat down on the Mount of Olives and began to answer that question. Y'all know that, right? And even the apostles did this. When you think about 1 Corinthians and First and Second Thessalonians, and these books were written in response to issues and questions within the church. So often that's being dealt with in that way. So it's healthy. We're supposed to be looking for the coming of the day of the Lord. But in balance, we have to understand also that no one knows the day or the hour, which means everybody focus on, on me. That's not our business, which means that no matter what anybody says, they don't know the day and the hour and in the day and the hour specifically that the Lord is coming and even more specifically for the church. That's what we're going to see as we go through this. He says, not even the angels know. Like the angels are going about their business, doing what they're called to do, what God has assigned them to do. And when this day comes, they're going to get the word that it's come. They're not going to know the day before. You catch that? So not even the angels know. But he says, but my father only. It's within his desire, his timing, his plan. You know, this is the way it is, you know, because God is the only one that can look into society, listen, and know that the time has come where there's nothing left within that society to be redeemed in the current time and season." This is when the flood came back in Genesis. He could look into the world and see that there was no one else who was gonna repent of their wickedness and turn to God. So therefore, he saved the only righteous that were there who were turning to him, which was Noah and his family, and he brought the flood upon the rest of the world. Y'all remember that, right? Well, likewise in Sodom and Gomorrah, when God came to the realization that there was no one else in Sodom that was gonna turn from their wicked ways and come after him but Lot, and, and, and really his two daughters who listened to him to go, his wife loving the world too much, so she turned back and was destroyed. So God knows when society has come to a place where he can't redeem anything else. And this is why the Bible teaches us about the fact that we're waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. There is a timing in which God has brought in the harvest that he can bring in this current age, utilizing his church which we'll see in a minute, because this is the biggest reason why we're here, to win souls. When we get back where we're supposed to be in Proverbs 11, we'll find out it says that, that uh, those who win souls are wise. That's in Proverbs 11, we'll get back there eventually. So nobody knows the day or the hour. The balance is we're supposed to be able to discern the times so that the sense of urgency can kick in, but that's still urgency for what we're supposed to be focused on doing. So he says, only my Father in heaven actually knows. And this is good because when anybody tells you that they know, you automatically know they're lying. That's how we knew back in uh, 2012 when the family radio guy was talking about Judgment Day that year, we knew he was off because he didn't understand the scripture, okay? We know that to be the case. You know, there are things that we can know as a Christian church. you You know how you can know when a false messiah is a false messiah? If you were here Wednesday, you know the answer. The way you can know a false Messiah is a false Messiah is because he claims to be Messiah. <laughs> and according to scripture, Jesus says, if you hear that I'm over there or, or anybody says, you know, you don't even worry about going over there because they're lying. We talked about that on Wednesday. Um, so we understand that. So, but here's what Jesus does. Jesus is going to give us a little bit more of an indication of what things will be like. He says, we're verse 37 with me. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be now i need you to understand something because we're going through this verse by verse understanding the context we're going to get a clear picture of what jesus just meant when he said that there's some actually really good prophecy teachers that i know and i enjoy listening to because it's, it's entertaining and i i i love that subject i love to study that part of scripture because we should we should be But there are a lot of them that will take verse 37 and they will spend a lot of time trying to to search after some things that might be going on in the last days. And they focus on one aspect of it and miss the point of what Jesus is actually trying to give to the church here. In other words, there are those that say, see, just like it was in the days of Noah, we should be looking out for those same things. And they begin to talk about the demonic activity, the sexual immorality, and the wickedness that was going on in the days of Noah. And of course, there was a lot of it, wasn't it? In fact, it was so much demonic activity that we see there in Genesis chapter six that the sons of God, which would be the angels, benai Elohim, the direct creation of God in the Old Testament, those um, that were still connected that they, that, well, these were the fallen ones who came into the daughters of men and produced this offspring of which we know as the Nephilim and the Rephaim, they were giants. And so we know that it was wickedness. There was sexual immorality. These things showed up again in the promised land when Joshua had to go in and contend with them and, and Caleb, as well as when David was king. And so all of this stuff they can spend time on and they can, they can go down that rabbit trail. And now we're looking for Nephilim in the last days. And in fact, to some degree, they may be. There's probably going to be some genetic uh, genetic manipulation. Satan doesn't have new things to do. He just keeps repeating the same old stuff in different ways. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But the reality is that as you look at this in context, that's not what Jesus really wants us to walk away from out of verse 37 for the most part. What Jesus wants us to understand is there is something that will be taking place in the last days that will help us understand what's going on here. So he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be, verse 38, in that for in the days before the flood, notice they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this is beautiful because now we can begin to understand what Jesus is talking about. He says, right before the flood came, even though Noah had been preaching for 120 years that destruction was coming upon the wicked, and even though Noah had built this amazing object of an ark, that was sitting there in his front yard or backyard or down the, down the path, wherever it was, this huge thing was sitting there and they could see it. Even though all of that was going on, they mocked the, this, this event he was talking about and continued to live life as though nothing was coming. But notice this, he says that they were eating and drinking. Eating and drinking speaks of something you do in a festive way when you're enjoying yourself with people and you're having a party. That's what eating and drinking is. In other words, people are going to be having their cookouts. They're still going to be having birthday parties with the blowing up the little animals and stuff. And and, and they're going to be kind of living life. You catch what I'm saying? They're going to be living with a sense of hope for something in the future. That's what they're doing. Not only that, he says that they will be marrying and giving in marriage. Now, we were at a wedding yesterday. I mean, some of you were here at the youth conference and some of us were at a wedding. And I have to tell you, the wedding was fun and everybody had a ball. Two cultures coming together, African-American and Mexican. It was exciting. We were extremely late, and I blamed that on the Mexicans. <laughs> but you know, when you get those two cultures, you're not going to start on time. It's just the way it's not going to happen. <laughs> and we had a ball. It was fun. It was exciting. All the white people showed up early and waited. <laughs> That's how it happens. Y'all come early and wait, and we, we get started late, but it's OK. But he's given this impression that there are going to be these types of things going on as if ain't nothing coming. This is what Jesus is saying. So sometimes we, we, we get caught up in the weeds and we don't back up and see the context and see the whole picture. Jesus is saying, listen, this thing I'm talking about, this thing's going to kind of catch people off guard. They're going to be acting like ain't nothing coming. But What he just did, and I want to help you if you are not clear on what what the implication here is, what Jesus just did for us is help us understand the exact timing that he's speaking of. He's not talking about his second coming to earth. He's talking about his coming for the church. And how do I know? Well, here's how I know. On the day that Jesus rides in on his white horse, ladies and gentlemen, no one will be having a party. And there will be nobody getting married. Well, how can you say that, Pastor Kevin? Well, because Jesus gives us just build up to that day, which is a seven-year process of which we know as the tribulation, the great tribulation, okay? And what is described there is that Jesus initiates the great tribulation by beginning to open the seals that he has he has now everything has been given to him all authority he owns the earth he's now going to prepare to reign starting with his judgment and as he opens the seal what he unleashes on the earth will create an environment that's anything but normal in fact when he begins to open these seals that we begin to see famine and war, and more pestilences, that's plagues. So there'd be more pandemics, and more famines, and more war going on, and all kinds of stuff taking place, and the economy gets wrecked at that time, because it will take a whole day's wage to be able to make a sandwich, you know, and and everything will be jacked up. And then the earth will begin to quake like you've never seen as this, as literally the earth is like knocked off its axis and it's going crazy. They said there will be an earthquake like the world has never seen before. And so it won't be a normal earthquake. See, normal earthquakes, when the plates begin to shift and regionally you feel it for a certain distance from the the epicenter of the earthquake. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I don't need to stand here and try to act like I'm some geological scientist. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, because I'm not. Here's what I know. I know the Bible. So without knowing the the geological terms for it, Revelation 6 tells me that when that quake happens, that the islands will be removed. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. And the mountains will be removed. So this won't be a regional earthquake. All the plates are going to shift around the globe. At the same time, islands are going to be leveled. Excuse me. Mountains are going to be leveled and islands are going to disappear. And then stuff will be falling out of the sky from heaven that's going to be bringing destruction. And then people are going to dig holes to hide from the wrath of God. And that's what happens before the bad stuff comes. (laughs) Then the bad stuff takes place. Then you got stuff coming out of heaven that's destroying the water, um, that's, that's causing fire. Air quality is gone. The sun's no longer shining full, at its full strength. The moon is starting to look weird. Then the bottomless pits opened up and stuff comes out of that tormenting people and, and, and it's demonic and, and demons are released from the bottomless pit that have been chained up all this time and people are being constantly tormented. And then we still on, aren't even halfway through the thing yet. In fact, we know, as we remember when we went through the book of Revelation, that we did the math often. And I was pointing out that by the time we got to chapter 10, that half the population of the globe died in the first part of the tribulation. So we're, we're over 7 billion people now. So by then, we may be over 10 billion people, if you can imagine that, on, upon, the, upon the planet. Let's say 1 billion people. Of the 10 billion estimating just for the sake of math get raptured possibly you know we, we we assume that's going to be a smaller group because narrow is the path that leads to salvation but broad is the path that leads to destruction and many go that way Few go into the narrow one okay so that's just a biblical truth so let's say a billion get raptured and nine billion left that's 4.5 billion that will lose their life in the first part of the tribulation And I'm not even counting the people who are being beheaded because they come to salvation through all of that and they lose their life for their faith in Christ because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. I haven't even really tried to estimate that number. This is how devastating the tribulation is going to be. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So that by the time we get to the end of the tribulation, when Jesus cracks the sky on his white horse, that the, the earth will be dark. You won't even be able to have a party if you tried. The earth will be dark, and the only thing they'll see is Jesus. In fact, the tribulation is going to be so bad that if you back up to verse 22 of this same chapter, Jesus says, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The elect, by the way, has nothing to do with the Christians who are being saved during that period of time because there's no protection for you if you get saved in the tribulation you're most likely going to die. No, that elect is for the remnant of Israel that gets to flee from the persecution of the Antichrist into the wilderness for three and a half years. That's, that's what's left there. You follow me? So in other words, the tribulation is going to be so bad and so dark that nobody will be eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Does that make sense? So then Jesus is not talking about right before he comes to the earth then. All the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament, the apostles and John have told us what that time is going to look like. Old Testament prophets says the day of the Lord is, is a, a day of gloominess and terrible, and it's a terrible day. It's dread. It's destruction upon destruction. In other words, they're talking about God's wrath coming to the world. So then, brothers and sisters, Jesus is giving us an indication of something else. Jesus is saying that before he comes, I believe. And the next few verses are going to paint that picture for his bride, for us, the church, that people will be, to some degree, living as normal. And just like in verse 39 says, and they did not know till the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus is saying that his coming is going to catch the world off guard when he comes for his church. The mockers are going to be, everybody's going to be shocked when that event takes place. Now, I want you to see how he describes it and stay with me. Verse 40. Well, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. So Jesus paints this picture. He says, listen, two people will be going about their daily routine, whatever that is. And at that moment, one would be taken, and he's giving an illustration here so we can understand it, and one would be left. That's what he's saying. In other words, you imagine your work scene tomorrow. Everybody for a moment, imagine your job, wherever you go, whatever you do uh, during the week, and imagine what happens there, Okay. And, and look, for, for the people who are working from home or the stay-at-home moms, this gets very intense now because you, you want to make sure that everybody with you goes in the direction they're supposed to go, right? So imagine you're seeing tomorrow and this event taking place and all of a sudden a few just disappear. This is what the impression he's given here. Now, bear with me for a moment because one of the Things that has rocked the Christian church for the last several hundred years is bad theology that originated out of times where the church was in certain situations. Like, for instance, back when, when Rome was ruling still and, and the Catholic church was coming in, the state church, if you will, um, at that point, it was very bad to talk against Rome. So you don't want to talk about this Jesus coming back, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and taking over and destroying the world's government, right? Right. Because that could get your head taken off because, you know, you don't want to speak against Rome back then. So we came up that, that, that some, some bad views begin to creep into the church. Our millennialism comes kind of out of that, That you know, they begin to view the time they were living in was the kingdom time already. I don't know if you know this. There are people in the, in the world today who believe that we're already living in the kingdom. Well, this is a pretty messed up kingdom. I don't know if I want to be a part of this kingdom, if this is the kingdom. Well, you know, anyway. No. And then during the years where there was no Israel, no nation of Israel, and people are looking at Scripture that pertained to Israel prospering in the last days and anything that had to do with Israel, y'all focus on me because you'll miss something. Well, what they did is they came up with, with bad theology, like replacement theology, that, well, these verses must be spiritually speaking of the church, verses that had to do with Israel. Y'all Not if you understand what I'm saying here, okay? So out of all of that comes very bad theology, which has caused people to be very confused when it comes to certain things. Just like here, there are some, I say, who would look at these verses I just read and say, well, the ones who are being taken, they are being taken in judgment. And I think that that's a wrong interpretation of the scripture and of the text. And there's several reasons why. We know that God's judgment is coming to the what, y'all? To the world, That's right. So salvation would mean those who are taken out of the world would be the ones who would be rescued here. And so two men, verse 40, will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. So if you work in the field, witness to the other one tomorrow. Okay? Two, two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Ladies, if, you, if you're working in the mill tomorrow, Look at the other ladies. Look at the other people. Like, Lord, and begin to pray for them, you know, and start there. Because this is what Jesus is saying. This is what it's going to look like. So he says to the church, remember, he's speaking to the 12 apostles of the Christian church, of what, which we're part of. Y'all understand? He's saying to them, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. I like the language there what hour. He didn't say what day. He said what hour, because I think we can discern the times, if you will, but we don't know the hour. I kind of just, this is something I like to think about when I read it that way. So then we're told to watch, to watch means to be sober, to be ready, to be looking for, you know what I'm saying? To, 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 to know, um, you know, and and expect something to happen, even though I don't know when it's going to happen. This is the difficulty of the Christian life. This is the difficulty of the Christian life because we've been called to occupy till he comes. So as a Christian, as a believer, what the Lord has said is, hey, look, don't get caught up down there like that's your home. I've given you citizenship of another kingdom. You got a passport out of here. So therefore, the, the language of the New Testament, therefore you are ambassadors. Okay. So we represent a land, a foreign land of which we are citizens of. We represent that. We have a Holy Spirit in us which connects us to that city of which we belong. And we have the, 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 the bylaws of the place that we're from that we are delivering the people down here to prepare them for it, right? The Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven from which we wait for the Lord to come and transform our lowly bodies to be fashioned like his glorious body. Amen? Y'all know that? So this is how we're living. So he says you need to watch and be ready for something because you don't know when it's going to take place. And I think sometimes we miss that because we can be confused often by really bad teaching. And Jesus calls us to live in such a way that it could be today and to be ready to go while we're occupying down here. And look, he makes it a little clear. I don't know, the clock ain't working out for me this service. Maybe I'm moving too fast, but he, he says, verse 43, he says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. So he says, listen, It's a good parable. He says, look, if, if the master, the house owner, would have known when the thief was coming, then the thief wouldn't have been able to break in and steal anything. And look, we know what that's like, You know, all of us who are fathers and husbands. If we know the thief is coming, I've told you this before, if you know the thief is coming tonight at 11 o'clock, you're gonna have about maybe nine o'clock, you're gonna get your guns out, you're gonna clean them, <laughs> you're gonna load everything up, I'm gonna say to my son, you get the 30 alt six and you go get up in the top window, Um, and I'll tell my daughter, you take the 22, and you you, you sit in the living room, and then I'll pull my rocking chair up to the front door and sit there with the shotgun. You know, it's this very simple thought process, right? The thief is coming. We're going to greet him. (laughs) But Jesus is likening this to say, he said, you won't know when this is going to happen. But here's the crazy thing. In a sense, Jesus is likening himself to the thief in the story. Because he's coming to rob this world of what belongs to him. You know, the little God of this world who's trying to run things and control things and manipulate and work in the affairs of man and bring about his own agenda and, and, and get the globe to worship him. I'm talking about Satan. You know, he's trying to hold on to something because he wants to, he wants to win this thing. Jesus is going to show up in a moment and snatch out what belongs to him. And it's going to be a magnificent scene. You see, when you begin to think about this thing, two in the, in the, in the mill, grinding, and one taking one left, two in the field, one taken and one left, we can't even imagine what this thing is going to be like because those who are taken, listen, the only party is those who are taken will meet the Lord in the air because he's not coming to the earth then. And this is what he's talking about. This is going to be the most grand gathering that God has ever designed where we will meet the Lord in the air and it will be... Amazing! The Bible tells us that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and He will. He, the, the verses before that says that He will bring the souls of those who sleep in Jesus with Him. So those who have already passed on and are with the Lord will be coming with Him, their souls. And then it says the dead in Christ will rise first, which means that their their bodies will be literally snatched out of the grave, and those souls will be reunited with their bodies. That's resurrection. Then Paul in another place describes what happens to those who get caught up who are alive. He says that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So he says, I'll show you a mystery. Behold, we shall not all sleep, but we must all be changed. So he's saying, not all Christians will die, but all Christians must be changed. You catch that language? So those who have already dead, they'll be, they'll be changed, resurrected first. Those who are alive will be changed on the way up. That's what he says in a moment and a twinkling of the eye. And So everybody will be resurrected and then meet the Lord in the air. And see, here's the thing that I think we often forget about Jesus. When I read through the scriptures and I read of the Lord Jesus, I see a very joyous, joyous Jesus who really enjoys hanging out with his disciples. You know, I think about the difficulty of fellowship as a pastor it's difficult because you want to talk to everybody, you want to greet everybody, you want to say hello to everybody, and there's so much going on. And you know, some got questions, some got comments, some need this, some need that, and, you know, some you just, you know. And, but, but with Jesus, I, he knew how to magnify every moment, and every time he looked in his disciples' eyes, it was meaningful. Every time he sat with them, it was meaningful. And Jesus loved to eat. Y'all know this about him, right? He loved to eat. He had fun. You think that gathering in the air is going to be boring? Oh, my Lord, it's going to be something grand when we get up there. I think everybody will be able to get a hug from Jesus and a moment with him. And because it's supernatural, because we're resurrected, by the way, it's grand because there's no limitations anymore. You know, think about this. John said this. He says, we don't know what we're going to be, but we know that when we see him, we'll see him as he is because we'll, we'll be like him. And anybody that has this hope in himself purifies himself. So he says that, look, we should have the hope of seeing the Lord face to face any day, that'll purify, that'll help us live righteously. But he's describing a moment where we'll be like Jesus in the resurrection. Remember the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus. He entered in the rooms without opening doors. Y'all remember that? And he could do what he wanted. He could he could be with the, the guys on the road to Emmaus. He can break the bread and disappear and then be back in Jerusalem and then just show up in the room there and scare the disciples. And I think he was having fun because <laughs> he knew he could keep them from having a heart attack so he could do that. Jesus was amazing. He is amazing. And when we look at those scenes, when I read the scripture, it's like by the time I see him, I think I already know him. And I'm going to get to experience him to a greater degree. I think when we gather in the air, y'all, it's going to be the most fulfilling, the most exciting experience we could ever have. And we could only do it in our resurrected bodies because to get up there outside of this body, we would just explode. It'd be too much. So he'll gather us in the air. And then we'll go off into heaven with him. I, I think that in some ways, you know, as I pray and ask the Lord about the theme music coming back, now I'm asking them, there should be appropriate music as we gather and go up, you know? And I, I'm sure he'll have some, some very, very exciting things taking place. Um, this is going to be such an amazing moment. But by the way, these verses actually prove the, the pre-tribulation rapture because this can't take place at the end of the tribulation. Sorry if you are not a pre-tribber. There's only one spirit that wrote the scriptures, so we having all these crazy views means somebody's wrong. Yeah, all right. So he says, watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour your Lord is coming. Now, verse 44, where we were kind of coming to a close, and I guess I went through this too fast, so maybe I'll go to some other verses and use up all my time. But verse 44 says, therefore... You also be ready, church. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now you got to pause for a moment. Man, is this it? I mean, because what Russia is doing looks very much like Gog, and could very well be, of course. Um, Things are happening, you know, and things are coming together and. If they are able to subdue Ukraine under their, uh, under the Russian flag, and then now Turkey and Russia are having some conflict within themselves over things, um, and then Iran and Russia are buddy buddy, and China and Russia are buddy buddy, and you know Israel's nervous, you know, and all of that kind of stuff, it gets very interesting. But you know the thing that we got to remember is that whatever the news is saying and whatever we're seeing going on, if we focus there first. We, we get anxiety build up and fear and wonder, and we can get off track. But if we go here first, we realize some things. And if you were to go to uh, Ezekiel 38, what you find is that none of that can take place unless the Lord initiates. Because if you read it carefully, it says that God puts a hook in, in Gog's, Gog's mouth, jaws, and draws him in with the nations who are with him to go to war against Israel. That's what the Bible says. And that they're coming to take a spoil. Now, that's very interesting because one of the things that Russia is probably trying to do is control all the energy, all the natural gas. I mean, they, got, they just built, spent billions on the pipeline of which they're not able to use yet, and that's an issue. Well, you can get energy out of Ukraine, so they're gonna control Ukraine, so they control all the energy. But let's say Europe decides to go get it elsewhere. One of the options is Israel. Israel has a lot of natural gas. Well, that could be the spoil that draws them down in there. But it can't even happen, according to Ezekiel 38, until God decides to do it. So wait a minute. Nothing can pop off until God. This is why Jesus says nobody knows the day or hour, not even the angels, but my Father in heaven only, because he knows when he's ready to go. When is the fullness of the Gentiles going to come in? See, it all comes back to God has a purpose for this current age, and that's to take a harvest out of the world. Therefore, until he's saved, all that he can save in this present age, none of that can pop off no matter what we see. It could rise up and cool down because God's the one that's going to initiate it. He has the final say. And verse 44 is interesting because it speaks of the fact that we are going to be caught completely off guard ourselves. Because he says at the end of it, he says he is coming at an hour. The Son of Man is coming at an hour. You, church, do not expect. What? We won't even expect it. This is hard to swallow. And What does this mean? How is the Lord going to do all that? But one thing we know, and Paul is really good at this over in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Previous chapter, Paul talks about the rapture. Are you all doing okay? Am I making sense? Do you understand? Okay. You should be writing notes if this is not. If you can't connect these dots yet, because this is a little different, I want you to make the notes of the places you need to go look at. But he says, after he taught, teaches about, on the rapture in chapter 4, in chapter 5, oh, and by the way, he says, comfort yourselves with these things, because you can only comfort yourself with that which is good, and tribulation ain't good. But rapture before the tribulation is very good. Amen. So he says, comfort yourself with these things. And then as we go into chapter 5, he begins to remind the church that there is a thing that's going to happen where the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night for those who are in wickedness. And and it's going to catch them off guard. But he reminds us that we should be ready. And one of the things he says there is that when they say, peace and safety, then certain destruction comes upon them. Okay. He's given the impression that there's going to be a cool down period that kind of looks peaceful in the world. There's going to be some things that they see, but then there's going to be some perceived peace. Maybe Ezekiel 38 happens first. And then afterwards, we know the Bible says that they're going to be um, burning the, the weapons and burying the bodies, and this goes on. One, one, is, one of them happens for seven years. The other one says seven months. This is going to be going on for a while. It could be a cool-down period that looks very peaceful. Um, there's a whole lot I could say there. Um, and so everybody, look, it seems as though things have calmed down and we can get this thing going again. And then that's when it's going to happen, when nobody, nobody's expecting anything. When nobody's, even even the church He's going to be serving the Lord, and then all of a sudden, bam, it's going to be a beautiful thing. See, it's one of the things that the Lord wants us to understand. He wants us to be so busy serving him that we got one side of our heart is desiring to see him today, and we're longing for that, which is why we love prophecy. But we're so focused on serving him and winning souls that it catches us off God. That's what God, that's what he would like to have us doing. It's kind of like those of you who shoot guns because everybody in this church shoot guns. So that's an analogy that actually works. When you're shooting a gun, you're taught not to squeeze the trigger because you're a jerk and your your aim will be off. You're taught to squeeze it, breathing calmly, and then the shot catches you off guard, right? That's a better shot. That's what Jesus is saying. You be so busy focusing that when the trumpet blasts, you're like, whoa, it happened. We're out of here. Not sitting around waiting for it because when you're sitting around waiting, you ain't doing nothing. This is why the Lord ain't giving us an exact clarity as to the timing, because we would be lazy. The reality is we wouldn't do the things that we're called to do because we'll be packing up, ready to go. And there's nothing to pack because we ain't taking nothing. (laughs) So the Lord is like, no, here's what Jesus is saying. Let your intensity get stronger as you see the day approaching. Let your intensity, let the the urgency for the gospel message get stronger as you see the day approaching. Now, here's what you can't find on all the fake news that you see on the internet now, because most of us get it via internet. They're focusing you on what's happening on the ground in Ukraine and what's happening within NATO, what's happening within the UN, um, what's happening within Congress, all that stuff. They got you, you know, Watch that, watch that, but here's the crazy thing. If you were able to actually have some really good, strong Christian news that was able to keep you up to date because like CBN is usually delayed when I watch them, you would find that while everybody, while a million people just fled Ukraine, you got crazy Christians going against the grain like salmon swimming upstream, going in to get more out, going in to take supplies, You know, ministering to churches all over Europe, absorbing people as they flee, ministering to them, loving on them. You know, people are being blessed. People, hey, here's the thing, because what we should be concerned about is what's happening with the souls of people and are they being ministered to? Check this out. How many Ukrainians do you think will get saved because they became refugees? Probably. I guarantee you when you arrive in heaven, You'll meet a bunch of Ukrainians that got saved only because of the war, and some church uh, ministered to them in the process of all of this stuff happening. And so we got to keep our focus on what's our role in the world. See, we're salt and light. Salt often acts as a empty. empty blah, 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 what somebody said? antiseptic, thank you, and which basically is healing wounds, right? The other side of it is preserving things that would ordinarily be decaying. Okay? I grew up with a smokehouse. You would salt the ham and hang it up and smoke it, and then it could just sit there year-round and go get what you want when you want it. You know, And I would often get sent out there to get something. Anyway, so basically the church is that which heals and brings life into situations which would otherwise be dead or decaying. This is why the Lord has left us here upon this earth. And so we got to focus on that business until he shows up. Amen. The prophecy, a large part of the Bible's prophecy. And prophecy we need to pay attention to and we need to be excited about it. So I hope if you put last week and this week's together, you can find balance. Because I'm not saying, oh, ignore everything. No, 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 no. Pay attention. Pray more. Get excited. But just stay focused on the call of the church. And so we're out of time. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you today, Lord God, for giving us opportunity to to look to your word for hope, for answers, Lord God, for direction. I pray that you would continue to speak to us, Lord, throughout this week. Be with every person I ask, every person in this room, every person watching online. Um, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts as we spend time with you daily, that you would give us wisdom and direction in the times that we need to live in, Lord God, that you would remind us that we are here to be your hands and feet and show us the ways and opportunities in which to carry that out, Lord God, we pray and we ask. And now if any of you in this room have not come to know Christ with every head bowed and every eye closed, and today you have a desire to know him, then the Bible says if you repent of your sin, if you, if you confess your sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that we must be born again to enter and even to perceive the kingdom of heaven and that, that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. He loves you and he wants to redeem you today. And if that's you, whatever every head bowed or that closed, if you would just wave at me, those of you who are receiving the Lord, that I would pray for you today. If there's anyone receiving the Lord, I see a couple of hands in here. Awesome. All right, wonderful. So, Father, we thank you for those who have raised their hands, whatever you're doing in their souls and their spirit. We thank you for it, Lord God. I pray that we would have opportunity to minister further to them. But, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, reassure them of their salvation and that you would uh, expose the lies of the enemy for what it is who would come along and say that nothing has happened and nothing has changed. Uh, Lord, today they are yours. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.